Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Kenneth Kukie, a senior editor at The Economist, and you're listening to Babbage, our weekly podcast on technology and science. Today, we're talking about all things arboreal, as we meet the people who look after trees. Coming up, why trees matter. There's a huge amount of evidence nowadays about how trees are beneficial, not just for physical health, but actually mental health well-being too, and reducing stress, blood pressure, all of those sort of things. Also, afforestation. What's being done to try to put back the trees our industrial ancestors chopped down? The reasons are odd. They're partly to do with a desire for self-sufficiency in timber and also just a desire to get back to prehistory, really. And why we need to act now on an ever-increasing threat from virulent pests and diseases. The forestry industry is definitely extremely worried about the spread of disease. And not only the forestry industry, but also environmental organisations and those of us concerned about ecology. This, this is a problem for everyone. I don't know about you, but I find that there are few things more relaxing than walking through a forest or a woodland. The sound of dead branches snapping under my feet. Trees are the longest living and largest organisms on Earth, the oldest ones being the giant sequoia that are believed to be over 3,500 years old. The timber industry is worth $600 billion to the global economy. That translates to around 1% of global GDP. Now, there are a number of government organizations all across the world that look after our forests and our woodland. The United States Forest Service is an agency of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. In Russia, it falls to the Federal Agency of Forestry, while here in Britain, it's the Forestry Commission. It was set up prior to the First World War to help meet the wartime demands for timber. Its key objective now is a mix of management and encouraging public enjoyment. The economist Howard Shannon has been to Wendover Woods in the county of Buckinghamshire to meet the Forestry Commission's Craig Harrison. So in simple terms, Craig, why should we care about trees? Well, trees are incre incredibly important. They provide environmental, social and economic benefits. So let's look at environmental. They clean the air, they take the pollutants out of the air, they store carbon, so they're helping with offsetting the greenhouse effects. They help reduce flooding risks by sort of intercepting water. So from an environmental point of view, massive. Socially, there's a huge amount of evidence nowadays about how trees are beneficial, not just for physical health, getting people out into the countryside and connecting with nature, but actually mental health well-being too and reducing stress, blood pressure, all of those sort of things. And the final one is also economic. So as well as the timber being of value and being important to us for consumption, they also add value in other ways. So they add value to the landscape. They make it attractive for tourism. There's lots of evidence that trees in urban areas, around sort of shopping areas, will increase the amount of time people spend in those areas. So people spend more. They basically um, sort of play a key part in all parts of our life. 
Now, if we look at trees in terms of their botany, and you're an arborist studying trees, do we understand the botany of trees? There's a huge amount of work that's already been done, and we have a, a fair understanding. But they are, they are mysterious things, trees and forests, and there's still so much more we could learn. So a lot of the recent sort of understandings about how trees might communicate with each other or help counteract tree threats and tree pests and diseases by somehow chemical reactions across trees. So these are the sort of things that make us realise there's so much more to learn. So we're standing in the, in the woodland here in Buckinghamshire. What, what are these trees around us? Obviously I know the deciduous ones have lost their leaves at this time of year, but what is, what is around us here? So this is a really good example of mixed forests. So we have a mixture of native species, like the oak tree we stood next to here, with our beech in here, there's a birch that I can see. So lots of native trees, but interspersed within that there's also conifers such as larch and Douglas fir. And they all provide different things. So yes, native tree species are fantastic for wildlife but things like larch douglas fir are really important for the timber industry and they offer other benefits like they collect carbon they will ha- provide a habitat for other wildlife so these mixed woodlands are sort of sort of things that we'd really like to encourage now craig there's an international project underway called eye tree looking at the, looking at the value of trees tell me about that Yes, so iTree is a methodology first developed in the US but is now used worldwide. It's a a method of doing surveillance or survey of your trees and it gives you an idea firstly of what is the species that you have and the size of trees that you have. It's primarily done in towns and cities across the world. Uh, But then coupled with that, it also gives you a calculation of, for example, the amount of pollutants that the trees in the towns and cities take out of the air or reducing the flooding risk in cities or storing carbon and then it also attaches a value to that to actually say what that is worth so most importantly about iTree what we really want it to do is for people to recognize that trees are an asset often they're considered liabilities they cost money to plant to grow to maintain but actually a lot of these things like cleaning the air and carbon storage all of those things are not recognised and perhaps not valued, so it's the importance of how we manage those trees, otherwise those benefits will not be realised. What kind of role would a forest, a woodland like this, play in, in climate change? So there are two ways to look at it. The forests themselves helping reduce the impact of climate change themselves, but similarly they're actually affected by climate change. So a lot of the work that goes on is trying to guide people on appropriate species that are not only suitable now but will be suitable into the future and that's particularly relevant in places like major cities and towns where they have an urban heat island so they're warmer than elsewhere so they're they're particularly exacerbated the issues of climate change. And when you walk through the woodlands and no one's looking Craig do you um do you hug these trees? Certainly touch them on a regular basis. Very tactile, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think wood products, whenever you see people with wooden bowls or things in houses, you can't help but want to pick up wooden bowls and wood products. And connecting people with nature in that sort of way is, I think, really important. And people misunderstand lichens growing on trees. They think they might be causing a problem for the tree, but in fact lichens only grow in clean air. And it's an indication, isn't it, that, that the forest is healthy? Absolutely. No, they're a really good sign of clean air. I, th- I think if you find places around the world where... The air is really clear, clean and you see this prolific lichen growth. They're stunning woodlands. Yeah, it's quite, quite beautiful. And we'll hear more from Howard a little bit later when we explore what experts say is a growing threat to our trees' health from virulent pests and diseases. 
You're listening to the Economist Technology and Science Podcast, Babbage. If you like our journalism, don't forget you can take out a subscription to The Economist by going to subscribe.economist.com. Also, please go to your podcasting app and be sure to rate the podcast, Babbage, if you like it. Those ratings matter a lot. Next up, afforestation, the replanting of trees lost to human activity. There are estimated to be 3 trillion trees on planet Earth, though it's thought that figure was double prior to the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. But ambitious plans for a reversal in their decline is now underway. Take the Republic of Ireland. While 11% of the country is currently covered with trees, the government's target is to cover 18% of the land area with forests by 2046. This is part of a broader trend, the foresting of the West. I'm joined by The Economist's editor, Joel Budd, who's written on the subject. Welcome, Joel. Thank you. Joel, you've recently come back from reporting on the situation in Ireland. What's the motivation behind the government's afforestation plans, and are these typical of other countries? Ireland had gone down to about 1% forested when it became independent in 1922, and it's, it's now up to 11 and the government wants to take it to 18%. And the reasons are odd. They're partly to do with a desire for self-sufficiency in timber, a desire to have a decent export commodity, also a desire for more wildlife, more biodiversity, and also just a desire to get back to prehistory, really. So it seems like the tree planting is happening in all European countries. Yes, it's happening in, in, in almost all European countries, it, with the exception of uh, very, very heavily forested countries like Sweden and Norway. It's, trees aren't really spreading there. It's also happening in other rich countries. So America, which is about one third forested, has seen sort of a roughly 2% expansion of forest in the, in the past decade. And I think the most interesting one is Australia, where trees have seemingly always been in, in retreat and, and on the latest statistics do now appear to be occupying more area. And the other thing that's happening is that partly because many of the tree plantations are still fairly young, they haven't reached sort of maximum size yet, just the sheer quantity of kind of wood is growing very quickly in many countries. So in Europe, for example, the planted forests add about 1.1 million cubic meters of wood each day. With all of the non-native plants, in addition to conifers, there's eucalyptus. But it seems like there's some problems with these non-native, uh, non-indigenous plants. Well, broadly, nobody likes non-native plants apart from the people who are planting them. So in Atlantic coast countries like Ireland, people object to conifers, which, which sort of don't look right. And in Spain and Portugal, there's a particular problem with eucalyptus. Now, eucalyptus, which is an Australian tree, grows incredibly fast in Spain and Portugal, and it can be harvested on a nine or 10-year cycle for pulp. The problem with eucalyptus is that if you don't manage the forest very well, if you don't keep clearing the underbrush away, it's likely to catch fire. And when eucalyptus catches fire, it explodes and showers embers a very long distance. And so fires 
in Portugal can now rage at incredible speed and at incredible temperatures, and they will torch everything in their path, and they killed more than 100 people in 2017. And there's a real worry in those countries that they have simply endangered life by planting so many trees. Joel, this is fascinating. Thank you very much. Thanks. If you have any thoughts on whether afforestation is a good idea or not, please put them into an email and send them to radio at economist.com or tweet us at Economist Radio. Finally, there are concerns about the worrying state of health of the world's trees. In the past few years, new pests and diseases have been springing up quicker than conifer saplings. But the problem has attracted some of the world's top experts leading the fight back. Howard Shannon has been to the Royal Botanical Gardens Kew in London to meet their pathology expert, Richard Bugs. We are very worried about the state of health of the world's trees, and it's something that is just getting higher and higher and higher on our agenda. We have tended to take the health of trees for granted. I think we tend to think of them as big organisms that can look after themselves. But more and more around the globe, we're seeing that's not happening, and pests and pathogens are causing huge problems for our populations of trees, both planted trees and trees in the natural environment. And whereabouts around the world are are the hotspots for diseases then? There are many different places around the globe that are currently being affected by tree diseases. And most of that is due to us spreading diseases around, either through the movement of live plants or through moving other products of trees, for example. There have been cases of insect pests which are transported in bits of furniture that they've burrowed into or pallets that are used as packaging. And, of course, we're moving a lot of wood chips around for biomass power stations. If those chips aren't treated properly in the country of origin, they can be a vector for spreading diseases around. And so this this is a really global problem. In the UK, we've got problems that are well known about ash dieback, killing our native ash trees. We've got problems in larch plantations where Phytophthora are attacking larch. And as we look around the world, there are similar problems. There's myrtle rust in Australia and New Zealand that's causing many problems. There are problems in eucalyptus plantations in Brazil. Some people would see that as good news because they're not keen on eucalyptus, but it is providing vast amounts of timber that would otherwise be sourced from elsewhere. So it's, it's very useful to have certain areas that we designate for plantations where we grow very fast-growing trees and we use them intensively, and that takes the pressure off of other woodlands that can then fulfil a more environmental role. When you sit down with your colleagues in America from the USDA Forestry Service, what are you talking about? We're often talking about new techniques. For example, we're all very interested in using genomic technologies to try to accelerate the breeding of trees with resistance to pests and pathogens. So this is not genetic modification of trees, What we're talking about is getting as much information as we can from the genomes of trees and then using that information to select trees that are naturally propagated to select them for the genes that we want to see increase in their frequency within the population. So we're using knowledge rather than moving genes around ourselves using GM technologies. And that seems a very, very promising approach to developing more resistance 
in natural populations and going from a small level of resistance to a high level of resistance in a small number of generations of tree breeding. So, for example, we're talking a lot with our American counterparts about the emerald ash borer. It's a beetle which has spread throughout much of the USA and has devastated ash populations there. And we're worried that it will soon arrive in Europe. It's already found around Moscow in Russia and it could easily come our way. And so we're talking with them and we're doing experiments with them about whether or not our local species of ash can cope with the emerald ash borer or not. We're looking at control mechanisms, detection mechanisms, so we can really learn from the experience they've had in North America and apply that to Europe just in case that pest does come into Europe. So Richard, a lot of what you've been saying makes me think there are some difficult decisions that need to be made. There are very difficult decisions that have to be made. For example, when a pest or pathogen is first establishing in a country where it hasn't been found before, Do you go and clear fell the area where it's found to try and eliminate it? Obviously destroying a lot of the trees in that particular area, which local people won't want to happen, and and no one wants to happen really, but could stop the disease from spreading throughout the whole country. The forestry industry is definitely extremely worried about the spread of disease. And not only the forestry industry, but also environmental organisations and those of us concerned about ecology. This, this is a problem for everyone. My thanks to the aptly named Richard Bugs at the Royal Botanical Gardens queue. And that's all for this special arboreal edition of Babbage. Don't forget to pick up this week's issue of The Economist or find us online at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. 